welcome back to episode number 12 of Teachers Talk Film. This is Mitchell Main reporting here um, live and direct with my great friend, co-host, Mr. Pete Ray. Mr. Pete Ray, we are now on summer break. How are things going for you? Let's go. Summer break. Life is good. There's not much more to say. There's not much more to say. I mean, it's what it's what every teacher looks forward to. It's what everybody uses to uh, keep us in a low-paying job. Uh, we get two and a half months off every summer. Is it worth it? I think so, because I love my job. So I guess it's all worth it. But this is an extra added bonus. Yes, it's summer break, man. Uh, I was talking to some teachers the other day about like, I've, I've really never not known a summer break. I've gone to school. And I went to school some more and now I am in school some more. So yeah, summer break is just, uh, it's been a constant in my life. It's weird when you talk to people who don't live in the world of education and like, it's like Sunday night or something. And they're like, Oh, I got to go get ready for work tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh yeah. You, you still have that obligation in June and July. Like, yeah. Like we've just grown up knowing that those are rest months for us so uh, what are your plans like do you have any big plans you going to uh, Jamaica Hawaii what are you doing <laughs> I'm headed to uh, the exotic land of California um, I'm going to I'm going to Yosemite National Park uh, in my uh, in my creeper camper van um, so that'll be happening later in the month of June. And uh, I'm pretty pumped about it, pretty excited. And then just, you know, getting outside, doing some other stuff. But that's the, the big trip planned. Now, are you going with family or is it a Chris McCandless inspired trip where you're avoiding everybody? What's the intent here? Well, it's, I feel like it's basically impossible to avoid anybody if you go to a national park anymore because they're insane um but yeah taking some family brother sister cousins you know yeah and then any any hitchhikers we pick up along the way (laughs) are you are you guys all going in your van together well the van's only got one seat so (laughs) that would be a bit dangerous um so no we we've got some we've got a convoy man we've got a convoy headed to california Gas prices skyrocketing, so I'm, I might have to pick up a job along the way. But yeah, <laughs> you can um, flip burgers like Chris McCandless did halfway through his journey just for some extra cash. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but what what are you doing this summer? Um, I got a buddy getting married next month, the end of June. So I'll head down to Denver for that. Um, other than that, really not a whole lot planned. Um. I started my master's program, like I told you about briefly. Um, it's all online. And so, I mean, that'll take up a decent amount of my time. But other than that, just running, reading, watching a lot of movies, um, walking this dog around, trying to shed some winter LBs, man. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to get me started, man. <laughs> Don't even get me started. I, I prepare for the summer bod right when summer starts. So then by the time, if I even did achieve what I wanted, it would be wintertime to gain it all back. So 
it, it's just a vicious cycle that never yeah. really reaches fruition. Very cyclical. Um, I'm there with you, man. I'm there with you. But we deserve, we deserve our time. We deserve our junk food and, you know, sitting on the couch, vegging out for a little bit. It does get a little bit boring after a while. And like, I become a different person in June, like regardless of if I'm busy or not, like the routine with the day to day during the school year keeps me like, it keeps me sane, dare I say, um, tying into today's movie. Like I'll wake up June 17th going to bed at like 3 a.m. because I'm watching yeah. Akira Kurosawa films up until 2 a.m. and then waking up and then doing it all over again, not knowing what day of the week it is. Um, it is nice, but it's weird. I uh, I never, never take a nap during the school year because like if I take a nap, I'm up till two in the morning, no matter what. I've already taken two naps since uh, today. It's 10 30 a.m. <laughs> exactly like yesterday i took one yeah went to bed at 3 a.m because you it, it just messes everything up but yeah summer i i agree different person i am already losing track of what day it is it, it's it's pretty rough out here it's pretty rough yeah it's it's wednesday yeah it's wednesday 10 30 this is our earliest recording um that we've ever done that's kind of interesting. We're like still wiping the crust out of our eyes and yeah. waking up as we record. Um, we're talking a lot about daily routines right now and just how they sort of disseminate in summertime. Um, we have a character in our film today, Patrick Bateman. He is the main character in American Psycho. Um, and he is described as a yuppie. Um, and I didn't know what this term was until watching this film. And basically a yuppie is any young, affluent, urban professional. And I think it is subjected just to males, maybe females too. Um, but we very much see Patrick Bateman as sort of this yuppie character. Um, and so he has a really bizarre routine that he has at the beginning of his days each day. My question to you this morning is if you were a yuppie, because you, we all know you're not because you are a low paid teacher. Um, <laughs> what would your routine be if you were a yuppie? So you're asking, this is not my current routine. This is correct. And extra credit, you don't have to. Extra credit if you narrate your routine as Patrick Bateman would. Well, 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 <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of my routine now, which was, it's probably good we're not talking about that because it's very uninteresting. Um, okay, okay, so if I, I got to put myself in the mindset. I, um, I'm living in New York. I make thousands of dollars. Okay, here we go. Patrick Bateman voice and all. <clears throat> Each morning I wake up from my cryogenic chamber. I walk into the mirror and stare at myself for 15 minutes straight. I think of all of the poor people going to work in the mornings, unlike me. I look at a magazine cover. It's my face. 
uh, there are three faces now looking at me, one in the mirror, my own, and a magazine. Maybe that's only two, I'm not sure. I hop into the shower. I get out my Gucci body wash. Yes, that's right. I know Gucci is a clothing brand, but they also make body wash. They designed it just for me. I get out of the shower. I have a completely set up in my bathroom. No towels, no towels in this bathroom. It just air dries me like a big giant hand dryer, but this is a full body one. I am dressed immediately by six Italian maids. They're all 80 plus years old. <laughs> I walk to my car. It is a Lamborghini Countach. Oh. I think I'll stop there. I'm impressed, man. Clapping <laughs> <laughs> for you. That, that was... Um, I don't know what that was, man. That was my brain unencumbered and just, I don't know, man. That was an experience for me. That was good. I'm impressed. I'm proud of you. You've made strides. I don't think you would have been able to do that episode one. No. You're making strides. I'm, I'm really proud of you. Yeah, like I said, it's summer break. Different yeah. people. We're different people. <laughs> I don't. I can't match that. I'm. I'll try, but I won't. I'll just say that that was fantastic. Off the top, I, I, really, I like the part about the mates. That was. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. That was. That was interesting. My favorite part is that they're all over eighty years old. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in. I had to keep it. Um, like. This is this is antiquated. This is traditional. This is we're not getting crazy around here. Yeah, well, it fits too. the yuppie young character feeling like they're superior to everybody else. So I dig it. There yeah. was some depth to that response. <laughs> I'm impressed. We're all impressed over here. All right. Yeah. Here's mine. Here's mine. All right, I, I can't even top what you just did. OK, but here we go. <laughs> 3.30, my alarm goes off. I wake up and do my calisthenics, starting with a 10-mile run in Central Park. As I'm running, I'm listening to the meditations of Mozart and Bach. Looking at the people, merely spectacles in my sight of view as I'm running past them. And that's all they are to me. Spectacles behind me in my rear view. I pass them intently, brushing their shoulders and smiling as I continue on. I get home to a pre-toasted breakfast with a low-calorie cranberry sauce, followed by my espresso 18-ounce in my Yeti Gucci collaboration mug. Follow that to my shower. I use not a Gucci body wash because that is a one of one. Rather, I use Armani. I wake up, I get out, I go into the day, into my hovercraft, ready to take on my day in the office. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> Can I just make one note? Yeah, that please do. 
I think you got the shower and then you said you woke up in the shower. Did you? I know. You I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I fall asleep in the shower because I'm so exhausted. And yeah, why not, man? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going uh, with that. Yeah, I was that was off the top, and my stream of consciousness did not hit like yours did. It was great though. I mean, you even incorporated the whole like not Gucci thing, one of one, like that was nice. That, that was, was nice. A, that was a nod to you, respect. Um, and if you have not seen the movie that we're talking about today, <laughs> man, we sound weird right now. Uh I, I don't I don't go watch it please so that we don't look as weird um it's just the first five minutes so you're not getting anything you don't even have to get too far into it but this will make a little bit more sense right yeah we sound psycho um or rather crazy right now um but our character Patrick Bateman is rather insane um we might categorize him as one of the craziest characters in all of film um Personally, for me, he is not, but I think he's up there. Um, can you think of three psychotic or crazy characters in film? And you don't need to give an explanation if you want, but what are your top three or who are your top three craziest characters? So I think he probably would be in my top three, but I left mm-hmm. him out just because I know, knew we'd talk about him. Um, you want all three of them? I want all three. Okay, I'll start with my third and then I'll finish with numero uno. So you did it in um, order? Yes, I did. That's nice. You're going all out this uh, time. I'm ready. I'm fresh. <laughs> I'm prepared. Number three is anybody in a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. So that's cheating because that's a lot of people. But <laughs> if you've seen Yorgos Lanthimos movies, um, like The Favorite or The Lobster or mm. The Killing of a Sacred Deer, I mean, they're an experience. Have you seen any of those? I've seen um, The Lobster. That has um, Colin Farrell, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Weird movie. Weird movie. Yeah. Um, and I, when I watched that movie, that was the weirdest movie I've watched. And then I watched The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and I was like, okay, now that's the weirdest movie I've watched. Um, the characters in it are weird, weird, weird weirdos. Um, and yeah, it, they're just weird, weird movies. I like it. I like it. That's kind of a cheat code, but we'll take it. Yeah, I, I just I had to, I had to throw them all in there. Uh, number two, I'm gonna go with Buffalo Bill mm. uh, from Silence of the Lambs. Um, a, a bit of a spoiler alert for Silence of the Lambs. So skip ahead a little bit because if you are um, wearing other people's skin, uh, that's it's a little weird, man. It's a little bit weird. So, yeah, he's my number two. Um, number one, we're going with Walter Sobchak. Uh, do you know Walter Sobchak? I do not. Can From you the big, The Big Lebowski, man. The Big oh. Lebowski. He is, he's the dude's friend, play, yeah. played by, uh, yeah, Jeff Goodman. And uh, obviously, he's not, he's not killing anybody but uh he the the amount of times that he like pulls a gun out in a bowling alley and 
uh, he thinks that like the whole world is being taken over by like communists and socialists and he's just got some so weird ideas so when I thought of just weird psycho guys he is he is up there he's always talking about Vietnam and yeah. he's got he's got some issues up in up in the dome so he's my number one and I love him as a character he's hilarious and he gets called out by the dude like all throughout the film and he just does not care he's so like yeah. in his own world <laughs> I love yeah him. Three solid choices. Um, I'll go in order too, since you did. Uh, I'll start with number three, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Mm-hmm. I think we can um, say that he is multifaceted, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. I think they're both crazy, yeah. um, obviously, yeah. like representing the same thing. Um, psycho, psycho. Um, which had a crazy cult following of a film. Um, and this one did as well. Uh, maybe that's a topic we can get into as we dive into this movie. Um, number two, and I feel like this is, my next two are kind of obvious ones. I feel like it, I didn't, there are no deep cuts here. Um, but Walking Phoenix as the Joker. Mm-hmm. I think like Heath Ledger is definitely the better performance of the Joker, but I feel like we're more exposed to the insanity and like the mental state and rather like the descent of insanity with the Joker played by Walking Phoenix. And I think the narrative itself just lends itself to that because he is the focal point. Um, but yeah. Insane to say the least. Yeah. Maybe that's, that might be something we talk about with this movie too. It's like when your protagonist is, not a great person right right yeah 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 um and then my last one um my favorite horror movie of all time the only movie that's genuinely scared me in life um and that's the shining jack torrance um played by jack nicholas's um truly scary truly frightening truly psychotic I knew you were going to pick that one, so I didn't put them on my list. Yeah. 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 You're thinking You're thinking ahead. I, you're, you're really on it this morning. I will say that. I don't mess around, man. We show up here. I, I ain't messing around. This is why we pay you all the big bucks. All the big bucks. That's right. That's right. That's why. That's why. That's why. Yeah. You're an aspiring yuppie here um, through Teachers Talk Film. <laughs> let's yeah, get into my this Toyota Corolla baby yeah yeah your Corolla my Camry um riding around Toyota game yeah. <laughs> that's that's now though we're we're working our way towards the what did you say the Lamborghini Countach baby. yeah yeah <laughs> and I think I said a hovercraft yes you did what brand hovercraft um Tesla I knew yeah, yeah. good yeah. I okay. also own Twitter um, and then all these social media apps that aren't even out yet, um, but I, I own them just because. Right, I'm getting man. off the rails. I'm getting off the rails. <laughs> Let's get into this movie. Um, this is American Psycho, a 2000 film about, quote, a wealthy New York City investment banking executive, Patrick Bateman who hides his alternative psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends 
as he delves deeper into his violent, hedonistic fantasies. This is starring the great Christian Bale. Um, this is Christian Bale pre-Batman, correct? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know when his first appearance was as Batman, but um, I could definitely see like if they were to get inspiration from this movie for him to play the role of Batman, I could see where it comes from. Um, interesting movie, 2000s film. Um, we were five years old, roughly, when it came out. Um, you want to start us off? I do. And, you know, you said that I've come prepared today, and I'd like to back it up even more right now. Mm. Are you ready for a big word? I'm ready for big words. Big film studies word, contrapuntal sound. Mm. Explain it to Ooh. those who don't know. So contrapuntal sound is when you are playing sound in a, a movie specifically, and that, that sound does not really match what's going on on screen. So mm. a great example in this movie is when Patrick Bateman is killing his good friend Paul Allen with an axe and Huey Lewis in the news is playing in the background, which is like a very upbeat, fun song. And he is just murdering a dude. Like, that's not what you really expect um, to hear or find when you have this um, going on. There is a ton of contrapuntals. And not only is like the sound contrapuntal, I feel like the entire like arc of the character and just the, the themes in general are, are contrapuntal as well. Because we have this guy and really all these guys who on the outside, you're expecting them to be like well put together and well um yeah not necessarily good people but yeah they're like businessmen they they know what they're doing and then as we see throughout the movie when you get down deeper uh they are not what we are expecting so that's what i was thinking about when i was watching this movie i felt very smart while i was coming up with this idea that yeah the music the contrapuntal sound also mirrors like, I think the biggest theme for the movie for me is that, yeah, there's this undercurrent of these people aren't who they really are. Mm. Yeah, the contrapuntal sound, too. I noticed that with, like, you mentioned the Paul Allen murder scene. Um, as soon as he starts swinging the axe at his head, um, we don't see, like, the actual axe go into the head. Um, we just see the blood going on uh patrick's face but with the sound the music turns up it amplifies more and then like patrick's screaming and like his psychotic behavior is kind of masked behind the the music um it's almost like it's like what you were saying it's like a representation of what he is like he each day presents himself as this um not I wouldn't say upstanding but definitely like affluent well-to-do man um yeah. he's only 27 years old which is crazy like he's our age and he is like all the way this high up in this business and 
he presents himself in this very like um like you know like professional robust way yeah perfect way and he has his demons in his closet and yeah i like how the the sound especially in that murder scene with paul allen the music is amplified um to sort of mask that insanity that we're seeing through the action and another part of it's really any time he like plays music and he talks about music anytime he talks about music he's always talking about how people like aren't grasping what it's truly about like when he's talking about Huey Lewis in the news he's talking about like their sound but how they're really singing about like more serious topics um, he does the same thing with like Phil Collins and Whitney Houston later on. He's like, he he talks about how people people aren't seeing truly what is going on in these songs. And again, that mirrors him. Like mm-hmm. he is tricking everyone and fooling everyone into thinking that, yeah, he is sometimes not even the the person that he is, like the man that he is. Everybody's calling him by the wrong names. And yeah, deep down, he is this psycho freak weirdo not great guy yeah i was gonna ask you the question um why does he go into so much depth with like explaining the songs that he plays um you answered it really well i also think there's like an element of him trying to fit in because like so much of this movie like he even says when he's in the the limo with evelyn um his fiance at the time um First of all, he has the, his own headphones in while she's talking to him, just totally blocking her out. He says, Evelyn keeps buzzing in my ear. Um, but she asks him a question and he's like, I'm just trying to fit in. Um, but nonetheless, like, I feel like a lot of the music that he plays, like he's trying to tap into the people he's around to like gain an, an emotional response from them. Um he says throughout the time, like throughout the movie multiple times that there's like no real identity with him. Like the only true emotion he feels is greed and disgust and like music when it's done correctly, like it evokes an emotion of like, like romance, loss, excitement, whatever. And he's like trying to maybe like over, like exaggerate those emotions by going into so much depth with the songs. Like, when it's Christy and um, the other girl when they're at Paul Allen's apartment and he's like just rambling on about the four singles from the Whitney Houston LP, like trying to like, Hey, I'm this really emotional in tune guy. Like I understand pop culture kind of thing. Like it just kind of disservices him because they look at him like he's even more psychotic because he's going into such detail. I think that what you just said ties into the whole dinner reservation thing too. Like the only reason he's trying to get those is so that he fits in so that people think that he is something that he is not. Um, And you, you kind of mentioned it too. There's another quote. He says, there is no real me. There is an idea of me. So yeah, he has to talk about the songs that he talks about in the way he does. He has to go to the restaurants that he wants to, he has to have the business card just the way he likes because he has to have that idea of him because yeah, there is no real him. So it's all about how other people perceive him. Yeah. I feel like the scene with the business card was really like 
when the story takes off um and like we see he's showing all of his uh co-workers like van patten and bryce his new business card and he's super super stoked on it it's got this very minimalistic like professional elegant look to it and then in walks paul allen um who is played by jared leto um he did a good job i want to talk about something else with that later but we definitely what was that me too i want to talk about jared leto yeah yeah yeah. he definitely like already gets the feel of like this is the enemy of our protagonist it's weird to call patrick bateman a protagonist um but like they definitely like try to one up each other through these business cards and it's at the end of the scene where um, Patrick feels like he's quote unquote lost the business card fight, so to speak. And so like he, it's like he displaces his anger on the homeless guy, Al and his dog. Um, Just a terrible scene there too. Like not Not really really understanding how to, interact with people in a way that is professional and cordial and his violent behavior is sort of like trying to compensate for what he feels he doesn't have. Yeah. Yeah. That seems, that seems rough. And you're there for a while. Like he, um, he, he, it's all, it feels like a long scene. He's, he's there talking to him for a while and like I'd seen this movie before so I knew what was going to happen I just wanted it to like happen and get over with mm-hmm. and the dog screeching in the background and I I thought like oh man maybe he won't kill the dog I didn't remember that part I was like maybe he gets away free and then I was like you're stupid for thinking that that was not going to happen that's really like the first like breakout scene, like that sequence with the business card and then the homeless man, like where we truly start to see like his psychotic behavior in action. I like all the narration leading up to it. Um, but then, yeah, that's the first really like dangerous moment right after that, the narration, he says like my mask of sanity is about to slip and so like he feels like he like he knows what he is doing is wrong like he probably needs to get checked out by somebody like a professional um but he doesn't and he just keeps going on and does what he does yeah it is interesting that he is aware of like his problems uh even towards the end when he's he's breaking up with evelyn he's like yeah this isn't this isn't going to work because I have, he he mentions like homicidal rage or homicidal something. He's like, <laughs> we can't be together because I want to kill people all the time. So yeah, I thought that that was, we, we usually don't get that. Like you mentioned Walking Phoenix, his Joker. I don't think he knows he's got issues. Um, at least not as much as, yeah, Patrick Bateman just talking about them. Yeah, I've got problems, but this is what I do to stop having those problems over and over and over again. Yeah. And I was questioning like his intent with that, like being aware of everything because he like right in the middle of the film, it's the midpoint, I think where he like truly spares Jean's life in the apartment. 
he has like the staple gun it looked like to the back of her head and then evelyn calls and it kind of like snaps him out of his psychotic state um gene is his receptionist and he was he had all the intention to kill her because why not he's already done it to so many other people um but he spares her and then he says to her i don't think i can control myself yeah yeah he that that whole scene is weird he's freaking out because like the ice cream put on the table um like yeah you you see his he's got he's got a lot of problems that's that's a very small one i guess um how about him just reaching in the freezer to grab the ice cream and there's just the the frozen head there that was a nice touch i know there's so many like murderings that were left out um like this yes, is kind of skipping we, towards we find out of it go ahead it's just towards the end yeah i think you were just about to say it but like towards the end when he's talking to his lawyer howard um while he is like kind of on the lamb or whatever because everybody's trying to like find him he admits to all of these killings and like he names like 12 other killings and we had like only seen three as the viewer, I was wondering, I'm wondering like what the choice is for that. Like why would the writers and the directors leave out all the other ones? We see their bodies in Paul Allen's apartment, um, but we don't see like the actual acts being committed. Yeah. That's what I was going to mention is the, all the bodies in his apartment. Like that's insane. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know why they leave them out. I mean, I, I think we see it enough. Like we see a lot more than uh, we see in other movies. Um, right. Yeah, we we would have been stretching the maybe two and a half hours if we saw all of these. Uh, and I don't know, two thousand. Like maybe if this movie gets made today, there's we see more of them. Yeah, I wonder if it's like also like a. No, I'm probably looking into it too far. Like a commentary on like his guilty conscience and like we're not supposed to like see all of the murderings because like we're supposed to have some feel of like not compassion, but like understanding with him. Um, I feel like that's one thing where the story kind of has some gaps because like there's not a whole lot of character development with Patrick um like I would have appreciated more of like what led him to this point because we see like in the scene with Evelyn in the limo like she says your dad practically owns this company and so like he was probably growing up rich and things like that and obviously we can imply like the emotional baggage that he might be carrying and things like that Um, but it is very skim and I wish we could have seen more of his development leading up to these moments because like like we said earlier the movie just starts with his daily routine regimen being narrated I would have liked more backstory yeah and I I felt that same way too like when I went to rate this movie like one of the things that I obviously look for that's pretty big is the plot Mm -hmm. and I felt like there almost weren't like plot points. Like it wasn't 
one one thing didn't seem to really lead to the next thing. It was it, almost like Napoleon Dynamite. It feels mm-hmm. weird to compare those two movies, but <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite, things are just happening. And it's like, okay, this is kind of weird, but each scene is like interesting, but they're not super, super connected. Like that's how I felt this one was, where we're just going, we don't even know how much time is passing between these things. And I think that if that was a little more like, centered and focused we would have had both a better plot and like you said some more character development like with him yeah and i think that goes back to the intent of like why he is doing this like obviously he has just like this sick twisted view on like what he can gain happiness from but it would have been cool to just see more of like the reasoning for that yeah because like you said it is very much so like here goes Patrick, he kills Paul and then he kills all of these other people just because, and like the business card scene really like takes the story off the ground, I feel like, but then after that, it doesn't feel like it really goes up more. I still think it's a good movie. It doesn't like the plot doesn't really like go up to a crazy point. Like there's no like real, well, I guess the climax is when he is calling Howard and he's admitting to all these murders but it just seems very loosely written. Yeah. And even at the end when, and I guess, I guess this is kind of maybe the, the big commentary of the movie, even at the end when it's like, we're waiting for him to get caught or for the guy to be like, like, yeah, you're messed up. Um, Even that doesn't happen. It's just like, no, this Paul Allen's still alive and you're just joking and I'd like you to quit joking with me um, because like this is weird and I think I don't know I think one of my big things was that maybe watching this movie today is probably very different than when it came out like the things Mm -hmm. that um, we talk about or that people would talk about with this movie because like one big thing I noticed was like I feel like it was commenting on people just ignoring people's like bad states of like mental health and I don't think that's something that would that like they made this movie for but I think it's something that would get talked about now yeah that's something I wanted to get into towards the closure um with that mental health piece it's I definitely feel like if it like you said if it were to be remade today we might see more of the like the shock value um, and like the mental health commentary being more and more apparent, kind of like how the Joker was when it came out. Like I felt like that was like in terms of like the exigence or like the reasoning for that film, like it wasn't just to talk about the villain of Batman. It was to comment on this huge epidemic of mental health and, young people and how it perpetuates into their adulthood and i thought the joker did that really 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 well um but yeah obviously i think this film had different intent i talked about the the shock value um one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie um amongst others is like the the slasher film scene where we do see all of the bodies and where I think it's is it Kristen who runs away down the staircase Christy or Kristen something like that yeah yeah and we see like 
she's running through the Paul Allen's apartment first and she just sees dead bodies in literally every room. Um, and then she runs out and then here comes Patrick Bateman, no clothes with just a chainsaw that is going blood all over his face. He's got like his father, three new balances on feet or whatever those are. And she just runs down the stairwell and like, he realizes he has to catch her. And so he just, it's like the camera's looking up at him and he has the ax and he just drops the ax and then just whoa, miraculously whoa, whoa, whoa. lands on. on her. Yeah. What? You just called it an axe. We chainsaw, chainsaw, clear. chainsaw. Yeah. Chainsaw. Chainsaw. That's a large difference. Yeah. Probably would have been cooler <laughs> if it was the axe, though. No way, man. Him revving that chainsaw running through these halls. That's insane. But I guess the precision with the I don't want to talk about that. This is weird. True. <laughs> um, but yeah, the chainsaw, it was cool. Like that scene was just a lot of excitement. Um Back to the axe, though, since you got me on that topic. It's interesting to note, like, we talk about appearances and all that. Like, he keeps his axe in pristine condition. Like, there are no scuffs on it. Like, it's very much so, like, this silver-plated axe that is, like, very clean and elegant looking. Like, he's very much so about looking presentable. Except in that scene with the chainsaw, because he is off the rails. <laughs> but even even then, right before the chainsaw thing, he she kicks him in the face, and he's like, "Not not the face." Like you, yeah. We get those so many of those moments where he is just so superficial, and all he cares about is yeah, what he looks like and how people look at him. I mean, we talked about it already with the like morning routine, but. That scene is such a perfect intro to him, him peeling mm-hmm. the face mask off um, and just, yeah, talking about how how perfect he has to look. It's it's just a perfect way of showing us who this guy truly is. I think, yeah, I think and then when he gets kicked in the face in that slasher scene, like I think that's where he is the most mad in the whole movie because he gets kicked in the face. <laughs> Like, not because of anything else. Like, yeah, like, you kicked me in the face. How dare you? That and when he tells his, like, secretary receptionist, um, like, don't wear that ever again. Yeah. Yeah, he wants her to wear high heels and the dress. Yeah. Yeah. Weird stuff. That, you talked about the opening scene. What? Yeah, what a great way to start it. So many weird things, like the the ice pack for his face to prevent like droopiness and wrinkles. Um, and then he's like working out in the ice mask. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> Looks like a Batman villain. Um, the eye bomb, the anti-aging eye bomb, the teeth, like, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, and it's a B-roll scene. It's not one that really drives the plot any further. Um, it's the B-roll scene where he is just cranking out those crunches. Um, he has the, I don't, is that Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the screen? And, I think that's what it is. Yeah. And the girl's just screaming. The camera starts like zoomed in on a glass of like, I don't know, like 
a fancy bubbly drink or something. And then it zooms out and he's just cranking out these sit-ups like a madman. Um, the girl screaming in the background and he's just like, so. <laughs> and then he starts doing his little jump rope routine. Like this dude is, this dude is an American psycho. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, very much so. Um, the, the other one that, kind of leads into that that show again we're just talking about what shows that he's insane he's doing the crossword puzzle and the only two yeah. words that are on the crossword puzzle are bone and meat it's like what is, yeah. what is going on man <laughs> i do think it's funny to just picture the director telling christian bale like well we just need your handwriting and we need you to write bone and meat a bunch of times on yeah. this, this crossword <laughs> yeah and he's got the shades on too yeah i feel like anybody who wears shades indoors they might be psychotic yeah you know i've done unless it you're snoop dog unless you're snoop dog <laughs> unless you're snoop dog yeah yeah he's he's got a pass for sure he's got a pass um Another scene, you just talked about a scene you liked. One scene that I really liked was that phone call scene to his lawyer. Um, it's one of the few places I feel like the cinematography is really good mm -hmm. uh, because it's just, it's like close up to his face. Uh, we don't have a ton of light on his face. We have the light coming from behind him with like the helicopter searching for him. Um, and he's like sweating and yeah, we're just stuck close up on him. Um, also Christian Bale, Christian Bale is a, an amazing actor. Yes. For him, for him to go from like being the like slasher guy, killing all these people, just totally insane to the, the way that he talks in this movie and delivers his lines when he is in the suit. Like, man, he is, he is, he's up there top tier in my opinion. I don't know any 27-year-old, or rather any person at all, who talks like as like matter of fact and eloquently as he does, like when he is in his place of business. Um, he does a great job. You talked about that scene where he's on the phone with Howard. Um, you mentioned the lighting. One thing about the lighting, too, it's like literally like from his like nose like right in the middle of his face, like one side of his face is completely blackened out. And then the other side has the light coming in from the helicopter. And so again, maybe overlooking into it, but it's like this fact, like he, I, he knows what he is doing is wrong. And like, he's obviously admitting it to Howard at this time, but like he is like the lighting is showcasing like the good versus the evil, both within him. And obviously the evil is winning. Um, but I thought that lighting, yeah, that was a great scene that pointed that out. Uh, one more, I was just looking through my notes, one more quick like acting thing. There's that one quick scene at like the dry cleaners. You remember that one? Yeah, the Cran Apple and he, Yeah, <laughs> Cran Apple. And he, he runs into like that, this lady that he knows. Mm -hmm. um, and he goes from like yelling at the people who are lurking working at the laundromat to like talking to her like he's all happy and ready to go and then when he leaves and says goodbye to her he he's still talking in that way and there is a split second i love the shot there's a split second where he goes from like laughing and shaking her hand and saying goodbye 
his face just drops to completely like he looks like he wants to kill her. And it's it's so quick and fast and he turns around and keeps going. Um, I, I loved it. I was, like I almost gasped when I saw it. I was like, oh, my goodness. That was that was crazy. Uh, I noticed that, too. Um, and this is kind of a good segue. We're talking about just like the impeccable acting of Christian Bale. Um, Jared Leto is like pictured to be sort of the superior businessman in this movie. Um, but Bale totally outshines Leto in the performance. Like it's kind of ironic because like Christian Bale has a better career than Jared Leto. Yet Jared Leto is playing the quote unquote superior figure in this film. Like, I think Christian Bale obviously did a better job, but like, did that ever cross your mind? Like, why didn't they have Jared Leto play Patrick and vice versa? The, uh, the only thing really that crossed my mind was this is the first movie that I've seen with Jared Leto in it where he's not playing the weirdo. So I, I guess that is kind of what you're you're saying. Um, because, yeah, Jared Leto is known to play, like, yeah, just the weirdest people that he can can find. Uh, but I would also say I'm not really a fan of Jared Leto. So if say, he would yeah. have, yeah, if he would have been Patrick Bateman, I don't, I don't think I would like this movie as much as I do. I was about to cut you off when you were saying this is the only movie where Jared Leto and then I was going to cut you off and say, isn't a good movie? Because <laughs> his movies are just not the best. Um, Requiem for a Dream is great, um, but incredibly sad. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was interesting. I, I feel like he did do well for the role that he had. I thought he would have been in it more. Like I thought the whole movie was going to be a buildup in like a toxic masculinity. I'm better than you here you're better than me here. And like, it's just this conflict of these plot points going up until the very end where they have this epic showdown where Paul has a chainsaw and Patrick has the clean shiny ax. And like, they're just on top of the apartment building, just duking it out. I thought it was going to turn into something like that, but his character dies off really quick. So you you wanted the uh, you wanted a superhero movie basically. The, yeah, and then the I wanted guys Morbius to come in and break through the sky, <laughs> bite Patrick Bateman in the neck. Um, yeah, and then take Paul into the the multiverse and meet up with Deadpool and uh, Venom and yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm offended you have not mentioned Blade. Oh, Blade's chilling. Blade's on the throne. He doesn't deal with minor little people like Patrick Bateman. Blade's chilling. Do you think? <laughs> do you think that Patrick Bateman would be upset if he turned into a vampire, or would he just be pumped about that? That is a great question. I think he would probably be pumped. I I think he would maybe be upset because then it wouldn't feel wrong anymore. Like he'd be like, oh, I, I got to go kill somebody because I need to live. Like, I feel like that he likes killing people because he knows it's messed up. I don't know. That's reading pretty deep into things. Yeah, that's true. And he does like 
I think he likes the the theatrics behind it too, like presenting himself in the fanciful way and like on the surface he has these incredibly horrendous demons that he is hiding. Yeah, I yeah. It would probably be harder for him too because he would only be able to operate during the nighttime. Oh, Maybe that would true. be more of a challenge oh, for him true. that he would enjoy. All right. Well, that was your Blade Morbius American Psycho crossover. <laughs> yeah. You only get that on Teacher's Talk film. That's I'm right. sure of that. <laughs> so if you're not listening, you're missing out. You're missing out. Um, I wanted to talk about, I think I'm getting to my end points. Um, like the imagery of his apartment and his office. Like oftentimes, like when we look at like color archetypes, it's like green symbolizing hope, blue symbolizing like intelligence um, and like wisdom and then dark, obviously like evil, the dark side um, and then white as like purity. Um, his apartment is just like completely white there is there there are like few um pieces of decor on the wall and it looks like he just went to like an ikea one afternoon and just bought whatever was there like there's no personality there um but i thought like the juxtaposition between the white walls representing like a like a quote-unquote purity but then also like it's so white and just empty. It kind of looks like an insane asylum in its own way. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's like a contrast between mm-hmm. the two. That was cool. And then his office the same way. Like there's like two framed photos on his wall that like he probably just picked up from Walgreens on his way to work. Um, just no real character there. I think the walls are not white in his office, but I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. I really liked the juxtaposition with the white in his apartment. No, I like the white too. And you mentioned, I, I never thought about the like insane asylum thing. That's, that's cool to think about. Um, and I think another reason probably why they chose white is because like you said, it represents like purity and it goes back to that idea of your superficial self. And he's, mm-hmm. yeah, trying to show that he is like perfect and yeah, everything's crisp and clean, but when you open the refrigerator door, there's head in there. So, like deep down, deep down, even his apartment symbolizes who he is as a person, and also the white. I mean, when you that red blood sprays everywhere, mm. it's pretty good contrasting with white. It just jumps out even more. It's intense. Yeah, you can't miss it. And then his when he has the blood on his face and he's like screaming and his pearly white teeth. Like, yeah, yeah it's just like the colors are popping in those moments. Yeah. Um, what did you want to add? I think I got to my main points. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? That's that's all I got. W- Willem Dafoe is in this movie. Oh, I my gosh. Like yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, nothing he's another one that like I feel like he could have been Patrick Bateman I think he would have done a great job um, but even yeah he, he makes me feel uncomfortable too and it's it's weird how they make you feel I guess this whole movie's just uncomfortable which it should be um, 
But even when he's interviewing Patrick Bateman, man, those scenes are awkward. And you're almost, I don't know, I don't want to say you're rooting for Patrick Bateman, but you're like, you're almost on his side just because you know what has happened and you know, I don't know. I always get caught up in that. Like you're just on the protagonist's side, no matter how terrible of a person they are. Um, and obviously not on his side as in like I'm rooting for him to do all these things, but I don't know. I just, you just feel closely tied to the protagonist of any movie I watch, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm so glad you brought up Willem Dafoe. I think I've like him hawed around this idea, but I think I'm coming to the conclusion that Willem Dafoe is one of my favorite actors of all time. Yeah. Like he is just so, so good in anything that he does, like his face. Like, I feel like he has like a face that can be like, like it can exude like sympathy, but also like it, there's this villainous look to him and like he plays it so well in every single movie that he is in. Um, I love his character in here. I wish he was a little bit more fleshed out too. Um, all the scenes where he is interrogating Patrick Bateman. If we were allowed to show like rated R scenes in film studies, I would show these scenes to show like the impact of the shot and reverse shot and then the close up shots. Um, For those who don't know shot and reverse shot, it's basically just what you see when characters are having a conversation with each other. Like um, character A is talking to character B and then the camera is behind the shoulder of character B so we can see character A talking to them. And then when character B starts talking, the camera is behind the shoulder of character A and just so forth. And so it just showcases that dialogue. I don't know if you noticed it, but like right when um, I think his name's Donald or Don Kimball um, played by Willem Dafoe, when he walks into Bateman's office the first time and we see the shot in reverse shot, it's very much so just like a like a natural look with the shot and reverse shot. But then once um, Defoe, whatever you want to call him, gets into the more serious interrogation questions, the camera is like right on his face when he is asking those questions. So it's like zooming in on his close up face. And then like when Patrick Bateman feels a little bit like off kiltered like it's right on his face too. the close-up shots to showcase like the the awkwardness the uncomfortableness of the characters like I think that is shown beautifully in that scene and I wish I could show that to kids just to show like how much of an impact that little bit of zoom makes and it's this is what I love about teaching film studies you could watch that scene 20 times without knowing what shot reverse shot is and you would feel awkward and uncomfortable but the second you tell a kid look at the shot reverse shot and then look at it get zoomed in and closer like light bulbs just go off and it's like oh that's why I feel uncomfortable I'm way closer to this guy's face than I should be right now I love doing that to kids because it just changes the way that you watch movies it's so cool I know I I had like a reflection question at the end of film studies this year and like this kid was like bringing up all these terms and like camera work that we talked about. And he said, like, I feel like a master of cinema now is what he said. Yeah. I was like, dude, I and love it's that. Not, 
the cool thing is it's this is kind of getting maybe off topic but it's not that hard like you just literally look up different shots you look up long shots you look up low angles you look up cowboy shots and then you read a little bit about like why directors do that and then you watch some examples and you just start noticing them in every movie you're watching and again i sometimes i tell kids when we're going through cinematography and those things i'm like i'm kind of going to ruin movies for you a little bit because <laughs> it's going to you're going to watch them in a different way now yeah i always tell my kids like if you don't have the terms memorized like that's not an issue just think like if your eyes had a mouth what would they be saying that's a that's a great way to put it if your eyes had a mouth what would they be saying yeah oh the camera's really close to his face oh it's zooming out oh we're seeing this camera above this stairwell as we see this girl running down and she's cut out of the screen at certain points and like yeah just like what would your eyes say and you can really get to some cool conclusions with that yeah all right uh i'm ready for a score unless you got some other small bits no i think that was a good segue give me your score um tell me what it is uh i landed on an 86 oh um so yeah it's an 86 for me i i thought it'd be a little higher but yeah i had some problems with the plot just kind of meandering um and for an hour and 40 minutes i thought maybe felt a little bit long um but i really i really like and i feel like we didn't even get into half the things we could have with like Mm -hmm. the commentary that it has on just america and capitalism and just mental health and life so 86 i like it that's a good score i gave it a 77 um I feel like if I watched this, if I was 27 years old watching it in 2000, I would give it a much higher score. Um, But I feel like movies have played out this sort of feel many times. Um, I, I really like how it's shot and how it's made. And I wish they developed more like intricate plot points and things like that. Like we said, like I feel like the business card scene really takes the story off the ground but then it doesn't go much farther from there um still though a 77 that's a great score um it's a solid c almost a b i liked it i liked it 77 nice nice you mentioned um like some of the commentary bits um i wanted to end and since we're on summer break we don't really have a lot of like what's going on in class type of talk right now. And so I was thinking we could, for some episodes, use a closing connection bit. So regardless of the film that we watch, we need to connect that film to an aspect of the teacher world. And that is very vague. That is very open, but that is purposeful because on the surface how the heck am i going to connect american psycho to my world of teaching um you kind of hinted at my response a little bit um but i'll let you start what's your connection connect this film american psycho to the world of teaching i absolutely love the idea of connecting any movie to teaching because i I think it's very possible our job is very 
ambiguous and huge and large and yes. we do a lot of stuff uh and i was gonna say something else but then something came up in our review and i was like man that definitely happens we were talking about basically how other people perceive you mm -hmm. um and like the idea of you and who you truly are when you are a freshman in high school or sophomore junior or even senior um and i think this is something that people deal with throughout their lives it's it's and it's i think it's just especially harder in high school i don't know if high schoolers truly know who they are or if they are trying to i, I know that a lot of them are trying to fit into what they want people to think that they are mm. um and i i definitely think that it is my job as a teacher to say hey it doesn't really matter what other people think that you are it, it's you, you got to be you at the end of the day um when you climb into bed at night and you're the only one there who's that person because that's the person that should show up to school the next day um so yeah th there's my connection not um not as intense as american psycho but yeah i, d I definitely uh, kids definitely struggle with that a lot with the idea of man i really want to fit in and be liked so i'm going to maybe uh, sacrifice some bits of myself to to do that which is sad that is sad i appreciate your your it's not vulnerability but your your willingness to speak on that that, that is a deep topic there x-ray i feel like you know i know i joke around basically 99 percent of the time um when I talk about teaching, I feel like that's where I, I can get real serious real quick because yeah. there's a lot of stuff that goes on that I don't think people know about. Yeah, I agree. And my connection is a serious one, too. I have two. I have a silly connection and a serious. I'll start with the serious. Um, Patrick Bateman is a character who did not have a teacher who loved him growing up. Yeah. Um, I feel like. Oftentimes, many people who grow up who grow up to be this sort of heinous individual like Patrick Bateman, like there is no real connection established in a young age or a younger phase of life. Because I feel like when like you gain a connection with someone, whether that be a friend, family member, teacher, you gain empathy towards others and you really consider your actions before you commit them um, and I feel like it's our job as teachers not only to teach content and you know all that stuff but to also just connect with kids um, because we're we're not teaching just content we're teaching a human being um, how to love how to communicate um, how to analyze contrapuntal sound, um, <laughs> all these different things. Like it's so vast. And you mentioned ambiguous, like every day, like you're going to bring up a topic that you did not plan for on that day, whether it's during your lunch period or whether it's with a kid just walking in the hallway. But like it's your responsibility as a teacher to make the connections with those kids so they grow up to be upstanding citizens and you know truly give back to the world in a way that is positive 
um, unlike Patrick Bateman. And so that's my serious connection. My silly connection is talking about appearances again. On the surface, a teacher could have their life put together. They come into school, suit and tie. They have fancy Google slides ready to go. Um, But if they don't have that human element, that compassion with them, boo, it's not going to get out of here. Boo. Um, So luckily for my students, I have both. Um, No, I'm kidding. But no, that's that's my silly connection. You can have the best appearances possible, but if you don't have really the heart and what's underneath, you're in it for the wrong reasons. And here's the the other thing. Um, it's maybe even on the opposite direction. You can show up and like be the kid's friend and joke with them and um, do do all the dumb kid stuff with them they will figure you out if you don't have heart behind that. Like if you're just there to joke around and like, let them do whatever they want. The kids are experts at figuring people out. They will figure out that you are a bozo. Um, Like they'll figure you out. So yeah, it's it's all about the heart behind it. That's, that's what teaching is. I love it. I love it, man. They do not pay you enough. X-ray. <laughs> they do not pay you enough. They don't pay any teacher enough. So yeah, throw me in the boat with all that. <laughs> that boat um, is drowning. One thing. This is this is another teacher comparison. Um, I was going to bring it up during the review, but this seems like a good time to do it. The business card scene. They're all comparing their business cards. What would teachers compare if we were all in the teacher's lounge together like this pens that's what i wrote down to <laughs> the pilot g2, pilot g2 seven weight <laughs> point seven yeah that's what you said right point seven yeah pilot g2 point ten, point way seven. too fat yeah and then what are the other ones there's like a point five i think too thin yeah um, point seven is the happy medium so pilot if you're listening to this podcast um we are open for sponsorship um we'll take any of the pens you want to give us we love it we love your product use it every day (laughs) anytime a kid asks for a pencil or a pen i don't care i'm like yeah take it you need it whatever unless it's one of these bad boys and then i get pretty possessive no that one stays on the desk you don't touch it it's mine it glides with perfect precision. It's amazing. I love you, Pilot. It's almost too good. It makes my handwriting look so much better than it actually is, too. Yeah. Like, I'll write with, like, a wooden pencil, which I still do. I like the wooden pencils because you can just put them in your ear real quick and easy. Um, but, man, when I write with a wooden pencil, my handwriting is just god-awful. But with Don't the Pilot G2... Don't get me started on when I use the expo markers on the whiteboard, man. It's, oh. It is disgusting. You talk about Patrick Bateman feels disgust towards humans. <laughs> my students feel disgust towards my, my expo handwriting on the board. It's, it's rough. I avoid the whiteboard at all costs. I just <laughs> open a Google Doc and I enlarge it and I type. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. 
there's there's a little bit of power in having the power to write on the whiteboard as a teacher. Like I remember being a student, being like, if I could just write on that whiteboard, everything would be perfect in my life. It'd be amazing. I don't think that's a shared feeling. I I never felt that. Oh, okay. You know what I, I did feel though? No, no, I I mean I I'm speaking for myself, but I could feel like when a teacher is erasing something on the whiteboard and they missed a spot. Oh my gosh, would that drive mm. me crazy? Mm-mm-mm. Like in math? Oh, not okay. Gosh. You're like you're like Patrick Bateman with the ice cream spoon on the table. That's mm-hmm. how you feel at <laughs> that moment. Yeah, that's probably why I suck at math because I was just worried about the <laughs> the miss marks on the whiteboard, <laughs> not paying attention. Uh, Mitchell Maines, uh, young. What what grade do you say this was? Oh, all of them. All your math teachers had this problem. Oh, dude, without a doubt. So is this a is this a math teacher epidemic that only math teachers do this? You could say that, I think. Um, math teachers, if you're listening, clean those boards completely. Your kids are going insane. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, this is another great example of just... We talk. I said ambiguous. Us as teachers, we can go from talking about women getting murdered with chainsaws to talking <laughs> about the mental health and um, the heart of the educating profession to talking about pens to talking about um, the problem with math teachers. All in an in an hour and a half. Math teachers come from a different planet. There, yeah. I yes. You remember if you're our math, math teacher listening? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, I cut you off. But yeah, our math teacher in college, our freshman year, man. The dude was the dude. The guy was a genius, but he could not. He, he could not explain it to my dumb non-math brain how to do math that I had already learned before. It was rough. <laughs> he was too smart, honestly. Um, you passed that class, though. You got like a B or A, right? I forgot you were in that class with me. I, I, I sat front row in that class trying to do well. Yeah, I passed. Did you not? Man, I'll tell you off the pod. <laughs> I, got, I got a high D. I got a high D. And you know what? Hey, you're an English teacher. We don't need that math. This is what happened. I got the high D. I went to all the study sessions in the university (laughs) center. And he was like, hey, if you just show me that you can do like C work or better on the final, you'll pass. And because I was like Um, covering a low C the whole entire year. Um, Yeah. Sure enough, no matter how much work I put in, I got a D. Um, And so the next semester... I was like looking at the transcript of like, okay, I want to get into the English education field. What is the lowest math credit that I need? And it was like a business math class. And I got like an A in that class. I I didn't do much. Um, The teacher probably used a smart board and not a whiteboard, um, which helped me pay prayer and be more attentive. And I rocked it, man. I got like a 94. Um, But math. So. The only reason you passed this class was because of the smart board, 
not because it was like an old 090 class, <laughs> not even a hundred level class. <laughs> nope. And that's the only reason I got a D in the other one was because the whiteboard wasn't clean always. Yeah, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. As a teacher, you got to do what your students ask of you. So I, I'm on I'm on your side, man. Dude, kids will show me their math homework and like I look at it and I'm like, nope. good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I went and uh, I had to cover a class. Well, I've covered a bunch of classes this year, but went and covered a math class and they were doing some, this is an eighth grade math class. And I was like, you know what? I might be able to help them. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. I tried with this one kid. I got maybe a quarter of a way through a problem. I said, nope, I can't do this. No shame at all. I cannot do it. You're going to have to ask the teacher. I can't do it. <laughs> I covered a math class first semester and it was like a like a remedial math class with like five kids in it. <laughs> and yeah. like I was looking at the lesson plans and like the substitute bailed last minute. And so they called me to like teach this math class. And like it was like graphing stuff. And like it was supposed to be like a straight line ascending upward, obviously. Um and like I plotted the points and I'm like, OK, so when you have your plots pointed, you just draw the line to show the linear pattern. And like my line was not linear. I was like, ah. looking like the McDonald's logo, yeah, the arches. <laughs> yeah. Y equals MX plus B, baby. Y equals yeah. MX plus B. Y equals negative B plus or minus the square root of a B squared over four AC all over two A. Surely that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's, that can't be even close to something. No, that's something. I know it's all over 2A. All right. All right. We're, we're getting off. We're, this is not our field. Ask me about the great Gatsby, and I'll, I'll go on for days. Romeo and Juliet, baby. But soft. What light through yonder window breaks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, right. That's our lane. Um, that in film, <laughs> not math. And I'm thankful for that. Um, should we should we get into our, our film for next time? I think so. Yeah, if anybody is even listening at this point, I think they would appreciate it. <laughs> I think they would. They're 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 done. They're yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. We apologize, but not really. A little no, bit. We I don't <laughs> apologize. <laughs> the film for next time. I might have said this on the podcast while we were recording i might not have i said something along the lines of if this movie shows up on streaming again it needs to be watched we've already done a wes anderson movie we're doing another one it is the grand budapest hotel um i'm (laughs) i'm gonna stop it right there that's that's all i have to say because I am pumped to talk about this movie. I have seen it. You have not. And that's another reason why I must pick it because you got to watch this. Um, It's on HBO Max. I make no promises because last time what I said was not true, but I'm pretty, I've checked multiple websites. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's on HBO Max. This guy, man, telling us to watch the Sandlot. And it's nowhere to be found. Luckily, everybody in the world's seen The Sandlot. Um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. I am genuinely excited for this one. Um, I'm, yeah. 
you picked a good one this week, hopefully. Um, I've, it's on my list, and I've been wanting to watch it. I've seen glimpses of it, and I'm ready to take a deep dive. So the Grand Budapest Hotel, HBO Max, next week. Stay tuned. X-Ray, is there anything else you have to say to the people? No. Until next time, TTF Nation, enjoy your summer break. Get outside. Enjoy your time. Do something productive. Stay up to date on things. Still do your homework. The Grand Budapest Hotel. And peace out. Ciao.